It's good to be with you here this morning as we talk about this theme of hope. I'm so glad for that song that um, Alex and the team led us in with Living Hope. Uh, It's my youngest daughter, Brooke. It's like her favorite song, and she's just, she worships with that song, and I love watching her worship, and it leads me to worship as well. So we're going to talk about hope this morning uh, as part of our Advent series. My name is Derek Hebert. been a part of this church with my wife and my family and family for about 12 years and um, been serving in different ways. We live down in the Parkland Spanaway area. Does anybody live down in Parkland Spanaway? Anybody else here? All right. We know that there's, we know there's one other young family that's there with us. There used to be more, but they all moved out. I don't know why, but um, anyway, it's all good. We still love them. Uh, so, um, but we've been a part of, uh, of SOMA for a while and serving and leading in different ways. I work for a seminary called Western Seminary based out of Portland, has an extension site in the Seattle area. So glad to be here serving you all with the preaching and the ministry of the word um, this morning. Les Miserables. Anybody familiar with that title, Les Miserables? Yeah, raise your hand. Has anybody seen the Broadway production of that? Anybody raise your hand, seen the Broadway musical? It's amazing. If you haven't seen it, please go see it. It'll change your life. Um, anybody seen the movie of the Broadway musical? <laughs> okay. Uh, and there was another movie that was earlier than that with Liam Neeson. Anybody seen that? Okay, that was pretty good. Has anybody, has anybody read the book that's like this thick? No, I haven't. Okay. <laughs> good for you. Um, so... Um, I think it's mostly history with a little bit of narrative in there. Uh, anyway, so Les Miserables, uh, written by Victor Hugo in 1862, based on a lot of things going on in France at that time and earlier time, the early 1800s. Uh, the Broadway musical came out, was first, um, came out in 1980 uh, in France. And um, it's a story, a lot of different things going on in the story, but there's this, at the beginning of the story, there's this woman named Fantine, falls in love with a man named Felix, and they have a daughter who, uh, Cosette, who's born out of wedlock, uh, and her husband, or the man who, um, actually, or the uh, Felix, who she had a relationship with, eventually leaves her and their daughter uh, to fend for themselves, and uh, if you know any, anything, maybe at that time, I mean, there's not a lot going on for women at that time in France in the early 1800s, and so she has to go find work in a factory, uh, and then it's found out that her, she had her daughter out of wedlock, so she gets fired, Fontaine does, and uh, she then has to find some way to provide for herself, provide for her daughter, so that they're, now, they're just not out on the street, homeless. And so she, she actually goes into prostitution uh, just to find provision. And uh, so those of us who know the story, you kind of know what's, what's happening here, but she then gets arrested um, for being a prostitute, she gets deathly ill and then eventually succumbs to her illness. But God uh, intervenes in his grace and he raises up this man named Jean Valjean who was a, a convict. Who was a, he, uh, he was in prison for like 10 years just for stealing bread so he could feed his family. Um, and so he becomes the mayor of the town by God's grace. There's a huge redemption story there. He becomes the mayor of the town and he hears of her plight. He hears about what's happened with Fontaine because he actually... Um, was helping to own that factory she worked in. So he hears about her plight and, and about Cosette and her daughter, and he, right before she dies on her deathbed, he vows to care uh, for and provide for her daughter, Cosette. 
And there's, there's so much more to the story. If you have a chance, watch the Broadway musical live or on film or watch the earlier film by, by, um, by, um, with Liam Neeson. But um, there's this song in the Broadway musical, uh, it's, I, I Dreamed a Dream. I just call it Fontaine's song from Les Miserables. We could throw that up there. Andre, I want to just share a few lines from this. This is what she says. She says, I, I dreamed a dream and time's gone by. I almost want to just sing, hum this maybe for you. Maybe have Alex come up and sing it. I, I'm going to sing it. It's better sung by a woman, obviously. Anyway, we're, I'm just going to read it, though. I dreamed a dream in times gone by when hope was high and life worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. And she goes on. She starts out with a lot of hope and this dream and this vision, and then it get, the song gets worse. It says, but the tigers come at night with their voices soft as thunder as they tear your hope apart, as they turn your dream to shame. And it's, a, it's a, such a gut-wrenching song, if you've heard it before. I encourage you to just maybe look at the lyrics at some point, the full song, because she, just, she had this dream and this vision and this high hope for her life, right? And she had romance and love and relationship with this man who then left her. And she has to fend for herself and her daughter. And she has to go into prostitution, and then she gets arrested, and then she dies of illness. Such a difficult song even to, uh, to listen to, because it starts, up, starts out maybe up here, and then just sinks down into the depths. And in this song, we see hope, and yet hopelessness. We see the existence of hope, and yet, the ab- and yet the absence and the loss of hope. We experience hope, and yet oftentimes, sometimes in the same day, something could happen. Something might trigger us, and our hope just immediately shifts to hopelessness. Why? Why does that happen? Because this world has a way of breaking your hope. Like Fontaine, your hope can be torn apart. You see, we all have this deep human need to hope. Hope is a dynamic that is constant within us. It's relentless. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about that before, how often we are constantly hoping for little things, for big things, for short-term things, for long-term things. It's always there. We are continually hoping for things, good things, better things, things of beauty. Why is that? Because we're made in the image of God. Because God put this thing within us, this dynamic, this reality that will not stop. That we're always hoping for something better. And especially in the midst of a broken world in such a way that we're created in such a way that that to long for what's good, to have a better future, it's a built-in function of being made in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. And hope is... Hope is like this glowing ember within us. It's not so much like a burning flame. That's something different with us. There's this, it's this glowing ember that's alive, it's warm, it's constant. It does not easily get snuffed out, right? So we have, we have this need to hope. We're constantly hoping, and yet the world is broken. The world contains broken systems and structures, And mostly the world contains broken people. 
like all of us, right? People who cause things to break and unfortunately cause others to break and suffer. The reality is that the world does not run on your hope. As much as some of us might be very hopeful and optimistic about things, I mean, the world does not depend on your hope, unfortunately. The world is not sensitive to your hope. It does not fit into your vision for a better life and for what's good and beautiful because it's broken. I mean, it's just inherently messed up and broken and dysfunctional. And so, in the one hand, we hold our human hope because it's built in. We can't not hope. We're always hoping. And in the other hand, we hold this brokenness about ourselves in the midst of the brokenness of the world and this unfortunate reality that forces us to deal with every day. And so this morning, I want us to, um, I want us to be able to sit in that, try to sit in that tension a little bit as we look at what hope is. By the way, I, I, what was really cool about sharing this about, about Les Miserables and a few lines from that song is, is because Randy loved this story, as Lisa well knows and as some of us know. And uh, that Broadway musical, that production, uh, was very moving for him. So if you want to get a little window into Randy's heart, go see it or even watch the film. Okay? It was a huge, impactful narrative uh, for Randy. <clears throat> and as part, of this, so as part of this brokenness, we hold grief, and especially deep grief, as we continue to mourn our brother, our pastor, and our friend. And we do not grieve, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, we do not grieve as those without hope. And so, my, and so family, hope is so needed for us right now. You know, not only because it's Advent, it's Christmas, we always have a lot of hope. There's a lot of things going on that are hopeful during Christmas. Uh, there's a lot of hope in the season, but because we're in a season, we're a massive season of grief and sorrow still. So I think hope is made for us right now, for us to understand that uh, and let it impact us just a little bit more. Um, Brad Watson, who is a pastor down at the Soma Church in Culver City, L.A., he said this, to the person who lives in chaos, who breathes in the atmosphere of injustice, who tarries in the tyranny of trauma, hope is currency. It's value. It's significant. It has worth. And so in our Advent series here, we're going um, to, this is from the Advent prayers that we're doing. If you could throw that up there, Andre. Um, it says, no matter what, this is our prayer for, of hope, no matter what, I will place my hope in you, an anchor for my soul. And so my goal for us today, as I said, is that we live in the tension between hope and the brokenness of the world, grief and sadness, and that I, I hope that we will understand hope a little bit more, have more, get more language around it as we grab onto and grapple with hope in the midst of our grief, in the midst of whatever we're going through. So we're going to look at two ways that our hope is challenged, so the reality of hope, two ways that we're challenged in our hope, the difficulty and what's hard about it, and then two ways that our hope is built. So what is our hope built on? What foundation? So two challenges of hope and two foundations. And we're going to look at uh, the book of Lamentations. So if you have your Bible uh, or your Bible app, you can open up to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, 
<coughs> excuse me, Lamentations 3. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. It's, um, book, it's right after Jeremiah. <clears throat> Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 16. I'm going to read this, and you can follow along with me. He has made my teeth grind on gravel he, and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished, and so has my hope from Yahweh the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of Yahweh the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of Yahweh. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. Let me pray. Father, I recognize that it's, this is a really hard text to uh, grasp, and uh, we surely can't understand every single thing that's going on here, but help us to understand just a few things, and especially put those things uh, on our heart, convict our hearts. We need your help to do that this morning. Holy Spirit, for the glory of Jesus and his gospel, in his name we pray, amen. <clears throat> so, you might be asking, why are we looking at Lamentations? <laughs> I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon from Lamentations, especially at Christmas. Um, why are we not talking about the traditional Advent narrative, Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zachariah? Well, we've heard some from, about them, and there's a lot of hope going on in those stories. Um, but I really believe that the Holy Spirit led me to uh, talk about this passage today from Lamentations. Um, though it's a book of great tragedy and misery, um, <clears throat> it contains a profound sense of hope, which I think is well suited for our situation as a church. And, and honestly, I, I don't think that, and we're going to get into this, I don't think that we can really understand hope without understanding First, suffering and tragedy. And that's not to say that you have to suffer or go through tragedy and trauma in order to understand hope. It just means that the strength of your hope and what that means to you will be affected by suffering and tragedy. Right? So that's why, that's why I think Lamentations is important for us here. Um, it's a collection of poems. The whole book is a collection of poems written by at least traditionally believed, written by Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, uh, who was experiencing the, the destruction of his own city of Jerusalem, which, which you know, throughout history was one of the greatest cities of the time. And um, they were overtaken by another nation in Babylon. It's around the 6th century B.C. And the, the whole city and the kingdom of Judah are ravaged by the, Babylon, um, by the Babylonians. And so uh, there's a real struggle to hope here hoping God in the midst of this tragedy, okay? So as we look at the first challenge here, the first challenge to our hope, it's, uh, it's this. 
the seriousness of your situation will challenge the strength of your hope. The seriousness of your situation will challenge the strength of your hope. Look in, listen, or notice what he says here. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. And so I say, my endurance has perished and so has my hope from the Lord, from Yahweh. Okay? The seriousness of your situation. Your situation our situation right now is what's real. We have to be honest about it. We have to continually just maybe just grasp the reality of it. I mean, it's, it's in front of us every day. Or whatever your individual situation is, and then our situation at church, it's just what's real. This is what's real for Jeremiah right here. And he's being honest about it. And this situation that's in front of us is a challenge to our hope. It's a challenge to our faith and trust. It, it critiques it in a, way, in, in a way. It pushes against it. It makes it very hard and very difficult to hold on to this thing of, called hope that we have within us. Jeremiah's situation is one of much hopelessness. His city and nation are invaded, destroyed, raped, pillaged, much violence and death. And ultimately, those who survive are led into exile, into a foreign, wicked, idolatrous nation. His situation is, is, is intense and immense. He's sitting at ground zero of the worst, most devastating event that could befall his own city, his own people, his land, his very identity and reality. And now, in the context of Lamentations, some of us might know, is that God has punished his people after years and years and years of idolatry, that he had patience with, compassion, calling them to repentance. And it's a whole other sermon. We don't have time to get into that. But here's the thing. This, what's happened to Jeremiah in Israel, and what he's talking about, Lamentations, we have no idea what that's like. Because until our city is invaded by some foreign nation, and it's pillaged and ravaged and raped, and people are dying and being killed. We just we don't know what that's like. And yet, yet I think we can grasp some of the emotions that we've all had in the last few weeks and that we continue to have when it comes to loss and absence, right? And pain, emotional pain and hurt. We know some of these emotions in light of Randy's death. Many of us are dealing with this, dealing with pain, disappointment. Maybe it's not just because of what's happened with Randy, but maybe there's other loss and disappointment in your life. In fact, I'd be willing to guess that there is. And maybe, it's a, maybe it has to do with work and there's a job that you were hoping for or a particular position or a promotion that you were hoping to get that just didn't pan out, didn't, you didn't get it but your expectations were so high for it, right? Maybe it's something that has to do with health in your family. It's, a, it's a, a member of your family and their health, and you have high hopes for their recovery, and it hasn't happened yet, or it didn't happen. Maybe it's your own health. It's not what you expected. Maybe there's an important relationship in your life that just didn't turn out as you had hoped, Right? So we all have these, these disappointments 
that we deal with. Maybe there's things in the past that continually stay with you, this really deep hurt or this disappointment that still affects how you hope, that still affects the strength of your hope. And, and you know, there, there's something about this season, and I know that, like, every, at every Christmas, we, we build up kind of this hope that, like, oh, this is going to be a great time, right? I mean, we're going to get together with family or my friends, and it's just going to be amazing. And you have this high hope, or just maybe just this once, we'll have a, a good, um, unawkward time as a family, right? And, uh, in, in, and there's going to be, you know, there's going to be relative peace and you know, maybe there's these elephants in our history, in our past, and in the room, but, you know, like maybe we just figure out a way that, you know, I don't know. Or, or maybe it's like we're going to have to talk about the elephants, but I have hope that we're going to get through it. I mean, this season, just that the emotions are heightened, right? The hype and everything that kind of surrounds it, it just kind of is what it is, okay? It's a challenge to our hope. I was able to... Um, uh, Put, put out something on Facebook uh, and um, in the last couple of weeks talking about just my preparation for this sermon. And there was a few of you that were able to respond to just what hope means to you and what's hard and what's difficult about it, which is really good. I really appreciated those responses. And, and two of the sisters in our church family here had a couple things to say that I thought were good that I just wanted to mention briefly. I'm not going to mention uh, their names, but they're there on that Soma Tacoma members Facebook page. By the way, if you're on Facebook... You want to get on that, um, just, just look for it or talk with Megan Cornish. She's the one that set it up. But it's a good way to continue to interact as a community and as a family, especially right now. But, but here's what one person said, um, had to say. She said, for myself, the hardest thing about hoping is the fear that it will be taken away. My brain seems hardwired to always prepare for the worst, to avoid disappointments. Sort of like reverse psychology, right? Anybody relate to that? Here's what another one had to say. I've been hit with a lot of disappointment this week alone, not to mention the last month. They're all things that either I didn't get that I had hoped for or things that came out of left field and changed the landscape, landscape of reality. And she goes on to say, I am disappointed. Life is disappointing this week, this month, and if I think about it, this year. What's the point of hoping if nothing goes the way that I expect it to? This, this person actually sent me some of these. Th th these are her personal thoughts from her journal. And um, <clears throat> I think we can see here, how, however serious your situation is, will challenge the strength and the depth of your hope. Either your hope will rise or it will recede and fall or cease to exist at all. So I just want to ask you, where is your hope? What situation are you in right now that is affecting your hope? How is it affecting your hope? And by the way, if you're, if you're in a place, if you're ever feeling hopelessness, or maybe you're in that place right now, and it's sustained, and you can't, you, you're not able to have thoughts and emotions that are getting you out of that hopelessness, that are becoming more hopeful, and you're finding a pattern of hopelessness, please talk to someone about it. Please. Please. Okay? This is a safe place. This church is safe. There are people here that are safe to talk to if you're in a place of hopelessness. Okay? <clears throat> the second challenge to our hope 
This one I might fly by just a little bit quickly here because i got some good news <laughs> to get to. We're going to get to the good news, guys. I promise. Our hope is challenged when we have to wait. Our hope is challenged when we have to wait for something good to happen with really no power to do anything about it. Four times here, the word hope is used in such a way as to, is to wait. The, uh, the two words, there's actually two different words in the original language that the author uses to talk about hoping. And each of those, both of those words can actually mean wait. They could be translated as wait. That's why, like, in the ESV, the English Standard Version has certain words that they translated as wait, and then, like, other English versions might translate them as hope. They're almost interchangeable. But see, what that tells us is that hoping is essentially waiting. I mean, that's what we're doing, right? When you're hoping with anticipation and you're looking ahead to something, like you want something good to happen, you have to wait for that thing to happen. And in reality, most of the time, if not all the time, you have really no power to do anything about it, to make it happen. You're just waiting. And boy, do we love to wait for things, right? And by love, I mean hate. <laughs> I mean, we just, I, we hate to wait for things to happen. That's why we have phones, <laughs> cell phones, smartphones, right? And I won't belabor this point. We, we all know this is true. And here's the thing. It's not so much waiting in our situation, in many situations in life, it's not so much waiting with anticipation as it is waiting with endurance and enduring the reality and the situation that you're in, that you're in a hard place and you're waiting for that good thing to happen, a resolution to the problem, renewal, redemption. I mean, this is Jeremiah here, and there is actually between, there is like 400 years of history between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament. And all of that time, Israel and Jeremiah and their people are in exile. They're away from their land. They're away from everything they knew, and they're waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for God to do something about this. Okay? 400 years, family. That's longer than this nation has been alive. Right? That is a long time to wait. Powerless waiting. Hoping, enduring, trusting. Um, as many of you know, my wife has, um, in the last, almost coming up on three years, in the last three years, went through um, breast cancer. And uh, she, you know, we went through all the treatments and everything, and by God's grace, she's, she's healed. And um, she continues to be healed. And she, in the last, uh, the last couple years, she had have a mammogram every six months to test just, just to see if there's anything happening, anything reoccurring. And so she, she had another six-month um, mammogram this last week, a few days ago. And uh, the results came back negative, which is good. <laughs> Always want negative results, right? Always. Praise God. Praise God. Super thankful, very grateful for his goodness and grace. And um, because uh, if you know anything about breast, uh, breast cancer, um, the mortality rate isn't very high. Or it is high. It's not low. It's, it's, um, it's very unfortunate. And so, but I'm in the waiting room, waiting for her to come out and uh, to have the results and everything. And I've been in other waiting rooms, waiting for her to come out from various tests and different things, or, or just even waiting during treatments. 
and such. And I think it's interesting that in every hospital, they have a waiting room, right? But what are we doing while we're waiting? <laughs> we're hoping, right? We're hoping. And we have no power to do anything about the situation. Our, close, our loved one is in the complete hands of the medical experts and the doctors and, the, and God, too, Hope, you know, hopefully trusting him that he's going to do something and he's going to help me. But we are just sitting there waiting in the waiting room in hope. That's what we're doing. We're just, that's all we're doing is hoping and praying. That's why I just, I, this week I was like, I think I'm just going to call them, the, they call it the hoping room from now on. Because that's what you're doing, right? You're not waiting there just to wait. You're waiting there to hope that something good will come out of this situation. Are you waiting for that? Are you waiting for something good? My friends, the reality is the challenge to your hope is you may have to keep on waiting. And that's a great, actually a hard but great spot to be in because you get to trust. And you get to learn how to put your hope in God, which is where we're going here now. Two ways that our hope is built. Two, two foundations on which our hope is built. The first one is our hope is built on the God who is unbreakable, whose love never gives up. Look at what Jeremiah says here in verse starting 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. That's one of the words that could be translated as wait. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. It's amazing here. When he says the Lord is my portion, that word actually is alluding to or it's associated with land, with territory in the Old Testament. It's his, he's saying like, this is my place. This is my home. And yet, everything in this situation, everything he knows about his portion, his land, his place, his home, is taken away. It's pillaged. It's destroyed. It's, up, it's just completely, you know, unearthed. And what does he say? The Lord is my land. The Lord is my portion, my place, my home. This God who is unbreakable, whose love never gives up. You know, oftentimes I think it's good for us to understand, in some ways understand this, understand what hope is and who we put our hope in by contrasting it with what is actually on or often experienced in culture. And some of those ways that we, I think, hear about hope or we experience it in culture, one of those ways is um, hoping is wishing, right? So we talk about Christmas wishes. You see that in the media all the time. And yet, what's the language that we typically use when we're going to talk about something we wish for for Christmas? We say hope, right? I hope I get this for Christmas. I hope this happens at Christmas. That's what, that's, that's what we typically, how we typically use the word at Christmas time in culture, right? Another way in culture is hoping in hope itself. So remember that being made in the image of God, we have this built-in function. We can't stop hoping. We're always hoping for stuff, hoping for something. But the thing is, is if you do not trust in, the God, in God, the one true God, your hope will be directed somewhere else. 
And what that ends up being is typically this vague notion of hope, this, just this reality. Like, I'm just hoping in hope. Like, somehow things will turn out better because they just somehow will turn out better. Right? I don't know how many TV episodes I've watched when it comes to these, especially these, these, uh, these drama narratives on TV like This Is Us, you know, Parenthood. Uh, some of these ones that deal with situations in the family, which are great shows. My wife and I watch This Is Us all the time. But... They, there, there comes a point in time in some of these episodes where something is piling up in a person's life and the pressure is on and there's difficulty and another character, another lead character comes around them and says, what do they say? It's okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to turn out. And I, you know, I appreciate that sentiment, but I'm like, oh, it's going to be okay based on what? <laughs> on what basis is it going to turn out for you? Do you see? You see what's happening there? They're hoping in hope. They're hoping in this reality that somehow the universe is going to work out for them. It's not, it's, not, it's not how it goes. That's not the reality. Often in culture, we, we want some kind of assurance that everything will be okay and that we'll get through it, that somehow life will get better. But my friends, my family, biblical hope is never just hoping that life will get better, although that's part of it. God wants life to get better, and ultimately, life will get better in the future. We know that. But biblical hope is hoping in the one true God who alone makes life better. And even if he doesn't like in Jeremiah's situation, we can still say, God, you are my hope. You are my portion. You are my land. You are my home and my place, even in the midst of whatever the situation this is. Because I know in the future, it will be perfect and better. Do you see that, family? You have to see that. Okay, don't buy into the culture that somehow, okay, we're just going to get through this. We're going to hunker down and like, we're just going to hope hard enough here. No, hope in God. (laughs) He is the only one who makes life better. Lastly, Look at what it says here in these verses. What is it about God that is unbreakable? And I think this poem that Jeremiah writes here gives us one of its character traits. He says this, verse 22, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Go on down there in verse 32. Though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. There's a Hebrew word there that's really important that uh, anytime you see steadfast love in the Old Testament, it's based on one word. And that word is found over 250 times in the Old Testament. It's a buzzword. It's a powerful word. Mostly you find it in the Psalms. And the only, the only two times you see it here in Lamentations is here in this chapter. And it means God's unfailing, sustained, committed, faithful love. Never giving up, never ending. I found myself this week, I'm like, God, I want to know your, love, your faithful, steadfast love. There's this in the, in the Hebrew 
I'm kind of a I'm kind of a Bible nerd, and in the Hebrew, it's the word it, it just it's pronounced chesed. There's this guttural thing to it in the Hebrew. It's kind of cool, but chesed. I just and and I'm like God. I want to know your love. I want to experience it. I want to feel it. I want to be affected by it. Because I I believe and I trust that it's never ending, that it's always faithful, that it never gives up. Even in my worst moments, even in hopeless moments and situations of my life, and in what our church is going through, God, your love is sustained. We've already seen that in in many ways with the church, the larger big C church coming around us. We need to continue to see that. Family, we, we have to continue to see that in this season. How hopeful and amazing his steadfast love is. Maybe there's some of you here who know that. Maybe you've heard this time and time again before about God's steadfast love. We sing it, you hear it, we pray about it. I just want to ask you, do you know it? Are you asking, God, I want to feel it. I want to experience it. I need it tomorrow morning. I need it in my job. I need it in my family situation, especially maybe going into the holidays. I need it. I need to know your love. I want to be near to you in your unfailing love. I want to believe that it never gives up, that you never give up on me. Even when I feel hopeless or even when I'm struggling in my hope with you, you never struggle in your hope because of your love. You never give up. Family, One last thing here, it's so important that we see this. This is really amazing. You go on down, and there's a lot going on here in these last few verses before we end here. And um, I still have yet to mine some of the depths of this. But Jeremiah goes on, he says in verse, verse 27, or excuse me, verse 26, it is good that one should wait or hope quietly for the salvation of Yahweh, the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults for the Lord will not cast off forever. Okay. I, I know Jeremiah is probably experiencing some of this right now. I don't know why he would call us to experience this and to be okay with this. Again, there's more to this that I have yet to look at. But, but I do know one thing. There is one man in history, and in the story of the Bible that experienced this very thing. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. On the cross, Jesus bore our yoke and the burden of our sin. In his youth, as a young man, as a young adult, he bore it. He goes on to say, let him sit alone in silence, when it is laid on him. Jesus was critiqued and he was mocked and yet he did not defend himself. He was silent. And furthermore, he was alone and he was abandoned by his closest friends and his disciples, his family. In fact, on the cross, he was abandoned by his Father in heaven. Why? Because of our yoke and our burden on him as a sinless, perfect human being. Our sin and our brokenness, the brokenness and the sin of the world was placed on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. Jesus was struck. 
by soldiers of the high priest, by Roman soldiers. He was struck. He was whipped. He was scourged. And he was filled with insults and mockery because of sin. Because he willingly went through the sacrifice for you and for me. Friends, he who had all the hope of heaven, who was perfect, the incarnate God-man, the Son of God, the righteous and perfect sinless man who had all the hope of heaven entered into a very hopeless situation being crucified. Why? Because he made you his hope. He made us his hope. He made you and me his dream for the kingdom. He made us his hope for salvation. If you don't know that this morning, I pray that you would grab onto it. I pray that you would grab on to salvation that is only in and through Jesus, the one, the suffering servant who lived, died, and is resurrected and lives today and will one day return. And that's what we hope in, the eternal kingdom, the new creation. Okay, In, in the midst of all the brokenness of this world, the brokenness in our own lives, we long for and we hope in the new creation because we have a suffering servant, a perfect God who became human and died, made us, and made you his hope. We're going to go into a time of communion here. I'd like to have the worship band come up. I'll pray here in just a second. Um, We're going to go into a time of communion. And uh, at the table, the Lord's Supper, we have the hope of the new creation. Um, Jesus said, I will not drink again of this cup of the wine until I return in my kingdom, until the kingdom of God comes. So my friends, I, I pray that if you, know, if you know this, if you believe the good news, if you trust in Jesus and the gospel, please partake and let's celebrate, let's have hope. If you don't know this yet, if you don't believe it yet, please feel free to watch and observe. But if you don't know and believe it, please, I ask you that you would consider believing and trusting this morning, okay? There is no other hope. There is no other anchor outside Jesus. None. This culture cannot give it to you. This season cannot give it to you. This life and this world cannot give it to you. In fact, this world will dash your hopes often and work against it. Find your hope in Jesus. Find your hope in the good news. It's real. It's powerful. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are hope and our anchor. Thank you that in the midst of our season as a church, and many of us still grieving and having moments of sadness and sorrow, Randy's passing, may we find hope, may we continue to find hope, even as that challenges our hope. May we be honest and real before you and with others. May we find that our our foundation, the foundation of our hope is in you, the one true God, who sent Jesus, even after all of those years of, of, of your people being in exile. Jesus has come. Help us with our unbelief. Lord, lead us. Thank you that you love us, that your steadfast love is so good. It's so faithful. It's so abundant. It's so consistent. It's so committed. There's no holes, there's no gaps in it. God, thank you that you are our portion, our land, our home. We praise you in your name. Amen.